The Ridgehorn Kitchen was a mouth-watering shrine. The island counter, made of polished oak and topped with 1950s formica, the kind you couldn't chip with a hatchet, was piled high with the fruits of condolence, a sweet potato pie with pecan halves floating face down in its burnt orange sea, glazed ham ringed with pineapple slices and brown sugar, green bean casserole, though beans were out of season so they must have come from some basement-stashed mason jar, gallons of sweetened tea and Diet Coke and banana pudding and gravy. Roby Snow looked around and made sure no one was watching, not that anyone would care, at all the death-sittings and watchovers and grievings and gatherings he'd ever attended. Food was usually the last thing on the minds of the bereaved, but the first act of sympathy by acquaintances. He dipped a pinky in the gravy, brought it to his mouth, licked the turkey drippings from his lips, and smiled. The marshmallows that dotted the sweet potato pie caught his fancy, and he plucked two, popped them in his mouth, then rearranged the remaining four so that no one would notice the gap in the pattern. The ham was growing cold, and gray-white grease congealed in the bottom of its tinfoil container. Roby crossed the room to the cabinets, opened them. Crystal, nice stuff, the kind that would hum if you put water in the glasses and rubbed your fingers around the rim. He'd seen a man on TV once who played a whole row of them at the same time, the glasses filled to varying depths, the performer wetting and wiping his fingers, raising a series of full notes that hung in the air like the blowing of lost whales. Crystal Symphony, the man had called it. Mr. Snow? Roby looked away from the crystal. Anna Beth had entered the kitchen. She was the youngest of the Ridgehorn clan, and the prettiest. Years had a way of stealing beauty, of stealing everything. Auburn hair, her nose was all ridgehorn, humped in the middle, but not yet jagged, as it would be in a decade. She had her mother's bone structure, and lucky for her, not her father's eyes, because her father's eyes were glued shut in the back room of Clawson's funeral home. "'Hey, Annabeth,' he answered, turning his attention again to the cabinet shelves, the chinaware, the tea set, the chipped bowls in the back, the plastic fast-food cups that the family probably used at the dinner table on weeknights. "'Can I help you find something?' "'I was looking for the saran wrap,' he nodded toward the counter. "'Flies are about to carry off the ham. "'Next cabinet over.' "'Much obliged.' He nodded, moved over, and rummaged through the shelves, behind the gelatin molds and paper grocery bags and cereal boxes. He found the wrap and brought it out. Annabeth stared at him. "'Sorry about your dad,' he said. The wrap felt as if it weighed twenty pounds. "'Well, we was kind of expecting it,' she said. "'You never expect it,' Roby Snow thought. "'We all know we're bound for it.' but none of us believe, deep down in our hearts, that it will ever happen to us or to the ones we love. Annabeth's eyes grew moist. They were as bright as the deviled eggs on the silver-plated tray. She was in her Saturday night dress, dark blue with white ruffles. Sunday best would be saved for the funeral. That was only proper. But this dress was plenty good enough for receiving callers. It's okay, Roby said. You can cry if you want. Wouldn't blame you a bit. She shrugged. I'm about cried dry. 
Reckon so. You folks have the sorrow round the clock. The rest of us get to come and go. And after it's done, when your daddy, God bless him, is tucked in the ground, you all have to come back here and go at it some more. Grieving don't let up its grip so easy when it comes to blood kin. From the living room, the widow Ridgehorn let out another long wail. This one a little tired and drawn out, as if her heart wasn't really in it. Poor mama, Annabeth said.